0: You're listening to audio from the St. Luke Church in Lexington, Kentucky. If you'd like to learn more or donate to this ministry, please check out our website at stlukelex.com. How's everybody today? Good to see you. Feels like fall is here a little bit. Nora loves that. I'm a little forlorn. We love Nora, so I'm happy. All right. Uh, We are starting a new teaching series today, True Happiness, and we are going to be going through Matthew chapters 5 through 7, known as the Sermon on the Mount, for the next few weeks. So let's kick it off today, starting at chapter 5 and verse 1, and we'll read it together with some chutzpah. Here we go. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Question for you this morning, audience participation part of the program. What's happiness? Shout it out. I missed it. Rod? The opposite of sadness? Okay. I can work with that. Children are happiness. Okay. Joy? Peace? Good health, love? Contentment. Contentment. It's an attitude, is that what I heard? Okay, good. All in one. A whole in one. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> People get ecstatic when that happens. Okay, what else? It's a feeling. Okay. Fellowship. Fellowship. Chocolate. Chocolate. <laughs> I saw a number of head nods with that. <laughs> Good. What else? Loved and being loved. To love and to be loved. Is that close? Okay. Friends. Hmm. Friends. Retirement. <laughs> Okay. All right, good. So we have this nice, robust definition of happiness that we're working with. Uh, I have a question for you. How many of you have the St. Luke app on your phone? Awesome. Take out your phone if you would, please. And open up the app. And you will find there is a tile or icon that says poll at the bottom of the app. And the question is are you happy? I want you to think about it and click in your answer. And you have to participate. And you find out whether or not your friends around you are too. Well, we'll help you. you gotta, you got to show up the next nine weeks, though. You know, it's funny. I think we're rather occupied with this question, are you, uh, am I happy? In fact, if you think about a lot of life's pursuits, it's about being happy. We spend lots of time and money and effort and energy pursuing Relationships, experiences, things, adventures, new jobs, searches for love, and all of it in this desire to really be happy. And we say that life is too short to be unhappy. So we're consumed with this idea of happiness. And really, what we're gonna explore throughout this teaching series is a couple of different questions. What is happiness? Much like we've already tried to define today. And then how does one have true happiness? And let me offer a caveat before we get this series underway, especially for some of you right now who are concerned. I'm not after the prosperity gospel. Okay, this isn't we pray a prayer and Jesus shows up with a Maserati or the name it, claim it theology kind of stuff. I do think, however, if we look at Matthew chapters 5 through 7, God gives us an idea of what a happy life in the kingdom of God is really all about. A blessed life. And this collection of Jesus' teachings comes from Matthew 5 through chapter 7, and it comes at an important time in the life of Jesus, at least in the way that Matthew presents it. The first couple of chapters are Jesus' birth and baptism, the lineage uh, which he comes from, baptized, then fresh off of baptism out in the desert to be tested and tempted by the devil, who he doesn't fall to. He begins ministry, and then we have this beautiful scripture that says this, seeing the crowds, he went up on the... and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So large crowds of people are following Jesus at this time, And it's fascinating that he's going to give a new law, a new way of life, a new way of doing things, and it's going to happen on a mountain. We have to ask ourselves, what was it that happened on a mountain the last time? Well, the mouth of God spoke and gave people the law. And so Jesus, at the front end of his ministry, is going to go up on a mountain, and the mouth of God is going to speak, God with the people and give a new kind of law. And for us, this word law might be a little bit of a struggle because we don't typically think of the word law as being a positive, happy kind of word. Are you with me? Whether we want to talk about it in a religious way, we go, ooh, the law. Or maybe we think about the laws that we have in this world. Don't break the law. I fought the law and the... There you go. You know, laws, we don't necessarily see them as happy things. We do strange things with laws, too, like we have speed limits, which are laws, although they're really more suggestions, if you haven't noticed. So laws in many ways, kind of a negative term, but this is not the way that the Old Testament laws of Israel were intended to be. In fact, if you look at Psalm 1, 1 through 2, the Scripture says, "'Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners.' Nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And Paul will later say, the law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means the point he wants to make is the law is good. The laws of God are good. The laws bring life. In fact, the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 says everywhere that we go, everything that we do, we're supposed to meditate on it. We're supposed to live it. The struggle is we can't. We choose other than the laws, which are good and righteous and holy. And that's how we know what sin is. So the laws are good. The laws are intended to help us live life in union with God. And the struggle for Israel, the people of God, as it is for us, is we tend not to do those laws. And so at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's going to go up on a mountain The mouth of God offering the word of God for the people of God, a new kind of law. This is how you do life in union with God. He went up on the mountain, and then we also read what? That he, (sighs) some of us think maybe he was just tired. I mean, the kids, they're tough sometimes. But to sit down means to teach with authority. See, in Jesus' time, rabbis would teach on the authority of other rabbis. They would say, Rabbi so-and-so said this, and then Rabbi so-and-so said that, and here's my take on it. I, Rabbi so-and-so, say this. But Jesus, Jesus sits down. He has authority. And you notice that in the Beatitudes where this sermon begins, there's not so-and-so said and -and so-and-so said. He just says, I say to you. He speaks authoritatively because he is God. And so the beauty is, at the front end of his ministry, he's going to give this new law, this new way of doing life, and it's nothing that you have to guess about from the authority of somebody else or some other teacher. He has authority in really what we could say is, in this teaching series, much like the Sermon on the Mount, we're after a bit of true happiness. The truth of God from the mouth of God and the way of God for the people of God to know the blessing of God. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. Help me, Lord. And notice where Jesus begins in the third verse. He says, the scripture says, and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed. Stop right there. Blessed. Happy. Some of your translations might read. And the word here, we're going to do a little bit of uh, scholarly education. The word is makarios. Say it with me. Good work. Much like we developed a definition for happiness here, ranging from uh, chocolate to children to holes in one, there's a pretty robust definition of what it is to be happy or to be Blessed. Happy, blessed, privileged, fortunate, enjoying fortunate circumstances, a recipient of divine favor. All of these things make up what Jesus is talking about. I think about people who are happy and blessed in the scriptures, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Moses, or Israel. And the amazing part about it is they're not just happy and blessed in circumstances which are favorable, they're happy and blessed in circumstances in which They're suffering or are disfavorable. So there's something about this whole being happy or blessed. And the way that the ancient world understood what it was to be happy or blessed is very different than our culture today. If you were happy or blessed in the ancient world, it was something that was given to you by God. The blessing, the blessing, Privilege, the being fortunate, enjoying favorable circumstances. It was God who had provided this. Now, in our culture today, we would tend to say the reason we're happy or blessed or fortunate or what have you is because of luck. Or maybe we would say that it's hard work or certain privileges or maybe even randomness. I, I was uh, out on the practice range the other night after work, hitting some balls, and somebody said, preacher, I need you to pray for me. And I said, okay, what are we praying about? He goes, the Powerball is really big. I want you to pray that I win it. (laughs) I'm like, I'm not praying for you to do that and all this. So, he said, well, what are you talking about? I said, you know, yeah, okay, you're going to win this thing, and then half is going to go to taxes, and then your life is going to be a train wreck. Don't pay the stupid tax. You don't need this. He said, you're really not going to pray for me? No. (laughs) Right? Our our tendency is much, in our culture, is really not all that different as it was in Jesus' time. Jesus had a, two different, distinct groups who were listening to this sermon. He had the crowds, and the crowds just kind of show up here and there. They go, Oh, well, you know, what are you doing? It's going to Jesus is an hour walk. Okay, fine, we'll listen to him. Let's get breakfast first on the way. And they're not really committed. They just kind of show up where it's convenient. And then he's got the disciples who are very committed. They'll follow him wherever he goes, wherever he lays his head down. That's where they lay their head down. Whatever he does, they're trying to do. So you've got the crowds, and then you've really got the committed, the disciples. And here's the thing. I think when we talk about blessing and happiness, in our culture today, we talk about it as luck rather than divine favor. If you're part of the crowds in Jesus' day... Yes, it might be something uh, given to you by the gods, but here's the thing. Your happiness, it's conditional. And that's similar to our culture today. We're happy based on a certain set of conditions that are working in our lives. And if things are favorable, I'm happy. And if things are disfavorable, I'm unhappy. And here's the thing about that. Conditional happiness is either rooted in a past tense or a future tense. I was happy when my kids were little. Except here's the thing. You weren't always happy when your kids were little. (laughs) Are we tracking? You're like, please, for the love. Anyway. I was happy when I started my career and I was filled with great ideas and wonder and excitement and vision. I was happy when we first fell in love. I was happy when I was adventurous. Past tense. Or we say, I'll be happy when I win the lottery. I'll be happy when I get the answer I want. I'll be happy when I get the job I want. I'll be happy when things sort themselves out the right way. For the crowds who are only minimally invested in in Jesus and in the kingdom of God and in our culture who says, well, you know, being happy is really a function of luck, happiness is always conditional. It's past or it's future. But notice For the disciples who go wherever Jesus goes, your happiness is not conditional, it's conclusive. Happiness becomes a state of being, it's always present tense. I am happy. And the reason that I am happy is I am part of the kingdom of God. And regardless of the conditions of what's happening in my life, my happiness does not have to change. My understanding of what it is to be blessed, whether I'm healthy or unhealthy, whether I feel close to God or not close to God, I can still know the blessing of God in my life. Psalm 1-1 captures it, right? Blessed. Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Why is one blessed? Because in every condition of life, in every single person that I interact with, whether it's friends or family or coworkers, the people that I like, the people that I don't like, I can know, I can experience, I can live in the blessing of God. True happiness... True blessedness does not come, friends, from what's conditionally changing, but from one who is conclusively eternal. And the way I know this is a sweet little old lady named Miss Alice. She was a member at one of the churches that I first served. Miss Alice had been through in her lifetime more than all of the sanctuary put together in 10 of their li- our lifetimes. And that's no joke. And near the end of her life, she was a single mom, and she saved and she saved and she saved, and she loved her kids, and she would talk about how she was blessed, how she was so happy, how God has been so good to her, over and over and over. I mean, it's not like a broken record, at some point I'd be like, "Really? I mean, come on. No. Gosh, I'm blessed. And when she retires, she loses her entire pension. So she's living on Social Security. She would invite Mandy, over, Mandy and I over to her home for dinner. And I'd think, oh my goodness, sweet lady, how are you paying for this? And she knew the Bible backwards, forwards, sideways, better than some Asbury professors that I know. And would always talk about how blessed she is. I'm blessed, I'm blessed. My family, oh, I'm so blessed to have these kids. I'm so blessed to have this life. God has been so good to me over and over and over and over again. One time at a certain point in her life, she, she got sick. And she hadn't been to church. And so I went to visit. And we talked and we prayed. And God's been so good to me. And whatever happens, it's all going to be okay. And I'm thinking, lady, like we need every greeting card to have, you know, And I get ready to leave and she goes, oh wait, Brother Ebel, I I need to give you my tithe check. And I said, well, Miss Alice, you know, I mean, you're going to be back and it's going to be fine and you're a good faithful giver. And she goes, Brother Ebel! And I go... (laughs) And she said, God has blessed me all my life. And I am not going to fail in honoring him now. You take this and you make sure it gets in the offering. Miss Alice knew this truth. All throughout her life, the conditions of her life changed. And many of them, by our standards, would have been disfavorable. And yet she knew a conclusive, eternal, whose character is unchanging God. And she called herself blessed. I dare all of us to get there. Jesus went up on a mountaintop and he sat down and he opened his mouth and he taught them, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The opening verse. Now I might translate it like this. Blessed are those who realize they are broken and spiritually bankrupt, who have nothing to offer God and are far away from Him because that's when the kingdom of heaven becomes yours. You know why people in our culture are not happy? You know why far too many Christians are unhappy? Because your happiness is based on changing conditions in a broken world run by broken people with broken choices. And it's why you can't forgive folks. It's why you're angry. It's why your paycheck isn't ever enough. It's why you're envious of your neighbor over their stuff. It's why you're mad about all of the stupid crap that happens on Fox News and CNN News that five years from now is going to be a completely different set of changing circumstances. It's why you eat and drink and smoke and sell and buy and all of the stuff you're trying to gain with a lack of happiness. And church, sometimes we contribute to it. If you just do this program, if you just take this study, and what we have completely failed in conveying is this. Our Wesleyan heritage says that salvation, it is not static. You don't pray a prayer and that's where it ends. Rather, it's dynamic. And the question is, how close are you to Jesus? And here's the goal, that we would be closer today than we were yesterday. So how close are you? Maybe our struggle is this. We tend to view life as a lot of different spokes or conditions that run through it. It's my work life and my married life and my family life and my hobbies my friends my serving my finances and sure God even gets a spoke that's what I do for an hour on Sunday and for 5 minutes early in the morning And one of these spokes gets broken and what happens to you oh, How's your life it's so bad right now why cuz my work life is no good Are we tracking How's your life right now? Are you happy? I am so unhappy. Well, why? Because my married life isn't good. Well, how, how's your life right now? Are you feeling fulfilled in, in, in who you are? No, my, my life isn't good because I've got relationships that aren't any good. And so one of the spokes breaks, one of the conditions of our lives break, and, and then what happens? Oh, it all falls apart. And the reason is we've we've made God a spoke. And yet what Jesus is saying to us is God's not a spoke, he's the hub. When God is the center of your life, spokes can break. You all rode your dirt bike, guys, when you had a broken spoke, right? You didn't go home. You kept riding the jumps, and you put the little you know, cards with the clothespins that your mama fixed up, and it sounded like you were you know, going to fight a war. It didn't matter how many broken spikes you, spokes you got. I got three. Because when the hub is strong, you can have a broken spoke or two. And when the hub is strong and the hub can influence the spokes, you can change spokes out. You can fix spokes. Sure, you can go along the way, but that doesn't mean that you need to fall off the bike. Too many Christians are caught in the Pharisaism of spoke fixing. And if I just get all my spokes right, then I'm going to be happy. No, 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 no. What you miss is underlying all of that is your own pride. That's what's at the center. Jesus is supposed to be the hub. And when he's the hub, it doesn't matter whether a spoke breaks. It doesn't matter whether the conditions of life don't go in a favorable direction. You can still call yourself blessed and happy. Why? Because the very person your life is oriented around, his character is unchanging. It is good. it Love, pure. And this is what Jesus is after. To be the conclusive center of our lives. He said it authoritatively from the very mouth of God that true happiness comes in and through him in one who's conclusively eternal, not conditionally changing. And so here's the thing I want to share with you today. If you feel far apart from God, if you are unhappy, if you struggle to forgive, if you feel broken, if your health is suffering, if your relationships in your life are struggling, whatever spokes are broken in your life, here's the good news, friends. Jesus says, the kingdom's yours. The minute you repent of the spiritual brokenness, of trying to fix it all yourself, the kingdom is yours. Wide open. I love how Dallas Willard says, He says it's a fine thing to be destitute of spiritual attainment or quality. That makes people worthy of the kingdom. I got nothing to give you, God, but just my mess. And when you offer your spiritual bankruptcy, he offers you his spiritual blessing. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you're eternal, that your character is unchanging. And God, we recognize this morning that there are spokes in our lives where we try to find our happiness. We try to find our happiness in temporary conditions. In changing situations in the whims of culture rather than with you being the center, the hub of our life. And God, we want to lay those things down today. We lay down our separateness from you, our pride, our brokenness, our hurts, our pains, our lack of forgiving others, our anger, And we lay it at the foot of the cross. We thank you that you died and you rose from the dead to give us life and life abundantly. And when we come to you and say, Jesus, I'm spiritually bankrupt. I've got nothing to offer. You meet us there. And you give us the abundance of grace. And so we pray that you would be Lord and leader in our lives. Not just today, but every day. Help us to know you, to love you, and to live for you, our Lord and our leader. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand and sing. You know, this altar is always open for you.